0: Preach from And um, I don't know, if that's just to take the sympathy on anyway. kind of easy one. An easy one. Um, but actually, it's been a wonderful journey exploring the parables um, over these few years. And all of that is kind of a preface because you know I'm leaving that role as a regional minister, I've left it actually. And Ellen is leaving it too. Um, and Ellen is preaching next Sunday. Um, To Derby, we're moving to Derby to a church, which is smaller than this actually, and there are only 20 members, but feel very definitely called to go and start something new in a place which is down to its last 20. Um, But it's been great to be members here, it has so felt like home, and it's been fantastic to have that in the back of my mind when I'm in the strangest of places, doing the strangest of things as a regional minister. So it's it's great to have a parable to work from again this morning. Uh,
1: But I want you to open your minds a bit and think of it in a slightly different way because as I've been
0: working through parables I've been finding a whole new layer to it that I haven't seen before. And a lot of it comes from trying to hear it as the first hearers would have heard it. Uh, I want to start with um, this this picture. This is actually from... um, that dreaded thing called Facebook. okay, and the, the, the words that go with it, um, and I'm going to get my glasses just in case. This is Lexi. I would tell you this as though it were me, but I can't because you know my wife too well and you'll tell, tell me. And She's an eight-week-old German shepherd. I bought Lexi as a surprise for my wife, but it turns out she's allergic to dogs. <laughs> So we're now looking to find her a new home. Her name is Siobhan. She's 39 years old. <laughs> a caring woman with her She's a great cook and keeps a good house. Now why is that funny? <laughs> it's funny because of the sheer in the story. The great thing about comedians is they start you down the line, they draw you in, and then they shear you off in another direction the rope illustration is an example of a parable because it's taking you in your head, you're on the wall aren't you you're on the wall and you can feel the tension in the rope or not <laughs> and you're starting to think about the story and it enables the storyteller to give you something that you wouldn't have got if you'd got experience Does that any sense to you? so um, it's the start of the Leicester Comedy Festival uh, and last night I heard one of my heroes, uh, Barry Pryor. Now, he is he's not really a stand-up comedian. He's struggled his whole life with eczema. When he first tried to be a stand-up comedian, it didn't work for him, so he went to writing, which is a fantastic thing because he's left us with such a legacy and he's still performing. He's 83 and still performing and is clearly loving it. But he has with him somebody who prompts him stops him from telling the same joke twice. <laughs> 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 I feel sure that, that would be helpful to me as well. And, uh, <laughs> but it's the same thing. I was listening to him last night thinking about parables, and it's the same technique, it really is. So he he said he <coughs> writing obviously and he's been writing recently with a guy called Colin Sell, who will be known to some of you as the pianist. Oh no, sorry, I have a clue. Uh, and Colin said to him on one occasion, <coughs> said the difficulty with this is that not <coughs> Is that, nothing, is that nothing rhymes with orange? Right? So we're all there oh, in the audience last night, "This nothing rhymes with orange." But now in your head, what do you do? You're looking for something that will rhyme with orange, and then he can deliver the punchline, which is, "Well, he's right, isn't he? Nothing does rhyme with orange." See, so you're trying to find it, and then is switches it the other way. Now it's much funnier when he tells it uh, without my explanation, but I'm telling you and breaking it down so that you understand that many of the parables were also like this. So let me give you some examples. The mustard seed story that sits in between these two parables and is is omitted in the reading that we had is uh, is is, it would have caught their ear because it was illegal to plant a mustard seed at that time. So they go so they, they know exactly what he's talking about they can picture the thing because they know it's this big huge thing that's was illegal to plant it and then he tells them you must have faith like that it's kind of, kind of sheer in your head it's going to send you off in a different direction and that's what this particular parable has all of them are meant to do the lost sheep the parable of the lost sheep is meant to cause you concern because surely if you go off and look after the one you're going to lose another of the 99, aren't you? And we read them the wrong way. We read them in the way that maybe if we taught them in Sunday school. We need to rehear them. We need to rehear these parables in our current context because they will talk to you. The Good Samaritan and the story, these are, these are parables which are in our culture. Jeremy Corbyn quoted the Good Samaritan, Samaritan this week when he referred to the man that died on the steps. Of Westminster Palace and said, We need to stop walking on the other side of the road. Everybody knows what he means. The Jews would have heard that as comedy because they would have known the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, whichever way around it was, and when he says, And you crossed over onto the other side, they would have been laughing because it's too narrow. It's too narrow to actually cross. So the comedy would have been, Well, he couldn't possibly have crossed over, he would have had to step over the body. With the priest. We need to rehear these stories and, and, and try and think of them, the way they would have been heard and how they apply to us. So they're meant to be a bit of an amusement, but they have a very serious point to them too. But what they should do is tickle your ears and pierce your heart. They should actually make you want to make a change because of what you've heard, or to rethink how you've heard something before often humorous, uh, simplicity, clarity, brevity, but almost always positioned to explain the kingdom of God. They nearly always start, the kingdom of God is like. Okay? The kingdom of God is like. So that's where we should be positioning this in our head. What is this telling us about the kingdom of God which is here and now? And why did he tell so many parables. I was going to get John to do this, but he's walked away from me. Um, I want someone to listen to a piece of music, and then to describe it to everyone else. Okay? It's not competition, there's no pride, there's no... As <coughs> a way of helping you understand what a parable is and what a the theme you've got. Let that? go to a piece of music, and put some words to it for me. You can either do it on a big sheet, on here. Listen. saying to us, it's like this we're comparing it to other things we made objects, as John said objects pictures, parables we haven't To you anymore, it will remind everything, and you can't touch it. Wow. Is that right? Yeah, I'm sorry, I wonder if you listen to the song. what she just told you. She's seen it. She's experienced it. Now she knows what the song is. Do you want to hear it? Now you know it's hard. She's paradise put up a parking lot with a clean coat a booty and a swinging hot spot. Don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you've got till it's gone? It's a paradise, put up a parking lot. That's enough isn't it? Right, you get the idea. So, what that means to you, immediately, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. So, you think, oh, that's a happy down Yes. I want to The office
1: left out for you.
0: How on earth do you describe the experience of listening to this when we hear things? how on earth do you describe the kingdom of God when you know what it is but you haven't got the words. There are the words that Jesus begins to describe us. That's the difficulty he has and that's why the parable. So each one is it's like he's turning a jet. And each time he turns, it, he's giving you another example, another facet of these parables of the kingdom of God. Right? So let's have a think about what that would have sounded like to um, the Jews at the time. Well, Jesus had gathered a crowd. If you read right away through the whole of that passage, you'll see he's gathered such a following, he's now having to retreat into a boat. To tell these parables, because there are so many people, they're they're pushing him on, onto the <coughs> shore. Um, what they were hoping, because these are an oppressed people, the Jews. They have been they have been thoroughly removed from where they thought they should be. They have been uh, beaten by the Greeks, the Persians, the Assyrians, and now the Romans. And surely, surely, <coughs> this is their time. And here is someone who seems to be their Messiah. Surely this is the moment where we get our land back. They're hearing man when they hear the story. They're hoping that he's going to stand up and deliver a political address that explains to them how they reoccupy the land. They were expecting a rallying cry. And when they heard the story, they would have resonated with it because they were agricultural people. They know what it is to plant and then for weeds to grow up. So like a joke they get the context they hear the story of what's happened the weeds grow up in the mid in the, and then the next thing they would have done as agricultural people is go and pull the weeds out. So when, the, when they hear the story they go, okay we know this one, we get, we get this they're in the field <coughs> with them they're hearing the story they're saying yes we understand that the, these, these Darnells as they're known, uh, the weeds when they look exactly the same they look exactly the same as the wheat until they appear and then when the, the moment that the ear appears it says in the story, that's the point at which you know that they're not wheat, they are weeds. Mm-hmm. the lack of fruit tells mm-hmm. them that, that they are wheat shall we go? no? he goes, <coughs> no that's the punchline no and that would be the type of his talk for me no, that's not your job no that's not your job you carry on doing the growing and leave the weeds to me. You do the growing and <coughs> leave the weeds to me. Nope. it's not your job. But that's how that's how how we hear it, isn't it? We hear something strange, and they would have heard something even stranger. They would also have resonated with other passages in their Old Testament, which is the only Bible they had at that point, where planting uh, was a was a um, meme as we would call it these days uh, for the return of the promised land. So Amos 9 chapter 15 and there are many many more. I will plant Israel in their own land. So when they hear the good farmer planting the good seed in its own land they're assuming yes, yes, this is it, this is the political rallying cry which is coming, we're about to enter the promised land, we're about to get our land back and take control of our own future. Isaiah 65 verse 21 they will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat them. So the metaphor of planting is something that they're, they're, one, they're familiar with in their day-to-day life, but also they're familiar with as a concept from Old Testament uh, writings. They wanted a physical kingdom, they heard land, and what he told them about was something completely different, kingdom of God. And As he said before he told any of his parables, some of you won't get this some of you will not get this. It. Well, the concept was so big and so abstract of the kingdom of God that the many wouldn't get it. And later in this series is a session on the kingdom of God and I'm hoping that one could provide you more clarity if we don't have time to go into it now. When Jesus came, he brought the kingdom with him. And we have it and it is powerful for now and yet it is still to come. There is a mystery of We hear when we hear that parable. I'd love to go around and ask you. Um, for me, when I first read it uh, again recently, I heard my father in law because he's an Irish Protestant, and if you get a wee bit of alcohol in him, he sounds like the Reverend Ian Paisley. <laughs> so I could hear a wailing and a gnashing at the teeth. <laughs> that was Scottish. The <laughs> It's by our mistakes that we learn. But I can hear him, and I can hear the Reverend Ian Paisley preaching this as a, and as it would have been preached in the 60s, as a repent on your going to the place of a wailing and gnashing of teeth. I've had a lot of fun with parables over the last few years, Um, and I mean this in a a respectful way. I've been working a lot in a place, Saudi Arabia, where you can't take a Bible with you. There is no entertainment, there is no music. Women aren't allowed to drive. Um, the banks are segregated between male and female, so women go there and women go there. It's the most extraordinary, wacky place. And in the evening, there's four of us sitting around a table, and we have our meal. And uh, by about 8 o'clock, you're kind of thinking, What should we do now? Because you've been there for two weeks. Uh, and there's nothing to do, there's no entertainment, there's, no there's, no, there's nothing to do. So actually, mm-hmm. you kind of all shuffle off to your room, and uh, one of you, somebody said to me, So what are you doing this evening? And I said, Well, actually, I'm it's very quiet. Because if they knew that you were doing that, they'd probably arrest you and put you in prison instead of your So, um, I said, Well, how can you do that here? Surely you haven't bought by them. And I said, Well, uh, it's kind of in here and in So I'm just sitting there playing with parables in my head. Well, what sort of parables? (laughs) What sort of? Well, the one I'm doing at the moment is the... um, Well, let me try it on you, because nobody needs to know I'm I'm, uh, I'm, I'm telling you a story. Um, uh, So let me just ask you what you think of this parable. A man goes into a field, finds some treasure uh, that is of enormous value, decides to uh, bury it and then he goes back and buys that field for the future um, and I've got an accountant because this is all working in the bank I've got an accountant, I've got a lawyer he says, what do you make of that? they've never heard the story before, why would they? But of this generation people haven't heard this story really. so, so the accountant says well how do we you know it's really worth what he says can we get it valued in some way? Or uh, and if he does get hold of that treasure, what, um, what is he going to do with it? Is he going to sell it? Uh, and if so, what's his plan? What's his investment plan? <coughs> well, the lawyer, he means, well, if he knows it's there, and he willingly and knowingly buys that land at a lower price than it's really worth, surely he's committing some sort of fraud. You can imagine it, can't you? This is like, oh, this is brilliant. Brilliant. Modern-day modern people hearing a parable in their own context and in a slightly different way. Oh. The best one was the banker sitting obviously. me. And he, his reaction was, um, ooh, maybe there's other treasure. So we know there's that one piece that is a great value, but if there's one piece in the field, surely there's a good chance there's other in the same field. That became the subject of my next sermon. Why do we settle on the one piece of treasure when there might be other treasure to be found? These parables are so rich. They are so diverse there is so much in them, you know them because you heard them as children, and you could so easily open a conversation about that and just see what other people say. And it's led to all sorts of conversations. And just from that one simple sharing of the story, I'm sure I didn't get it right when I told it, it didn't matter because it opened the conversation about the meaning of these words. What did you expect to hear? Well, I'll tell you what I expected. I expected. Hellfire and destruction of the evil one. And there's something about that which I think is very interesting in our society. That we are in the habit of polarising in and out. In and out. I think I'm going to say Brexit. I just said it there. It went in or out. We're used to, uh, you know, the minute the Oxfam story broke this week, people were going, well that's a terrible thing, but isn't it an awful thing? You're being immediately forced into a place where you have to go to one side of the fence or the other. Even though Oxfam did the most amazing work, would you still give to them? Is the question the journalist is asking. He's forcing you into an in or an out. Which way will you go on this particular issue? And the whole of our life now is forcing it into ins and outs on issues. I was driving this week (coughs) on the motorway, coming back from London, and it's changed, hasn't it, driving, over the years. Now, it's a procession. You do stick to the speed limit more often than not because there are cameras everywhere and now we've got smart motorways. There are very little risks of being caught over 70. So I'm just doing gently 70. I'm just keeping myself very carefully. on it. I've got my cruise control. Everyone else is obviously doing the same thing. We're all just moving. And then suddenly, mm, mm, up comes on the outside leg. Right behind me, of course, far too close, far too dangerous. There's nowhere for me to go at that point. But eventually the space comes, and you know, I move over, I keep calm. Uh, I'm not one who's prone to keeping calm in these situations. I tend to be. utter blessings yeah. in the direction of, of other drivers. And as I pull across, I, I, I have a little story in my head which helps me get over the moment. It's a policeman, don't worry, it's a policeman, he's very busy. He's on his way to do something, and you just have to get there. And then, to my utter, utter joy, behind me, a blue light. Yeah. <laughs> and he came up past me and then he pulled the guy who who tailgated me and moved him off to the side and obviously he was going to book him for tailgating and publicly speeding. Now my pleasure was more in his death and destruction <laughs> than in my own virtue. My pleasure was more that he'd been caught than it was in my own feeling of well I didn't, I was doing the speaker. I'm an okay. attack. Isn't that us awesome? sometimes? Isn't it sometimes that our faith doesn't really work unless there is some hellfire of damnation somewhere for somebody at some point in the future? And is that a good thing to hold in your heart? That at some point in the future this faith works because others are going to get what they deserve? I don't want to answer that. I just put it there as a question. We know what we want for our efforts. God will one day punish those. And when he tells his parable, and they go, should we go and pull up the weeds? Should we go and get them? Should we go and get them? These dirty weeds. Should we go and get those dirty weeds? He says, no. It's not your job. You leave that to me. That's my job. We want the weeds taken out of our life. And if this parable tells us anything, it also tells us that we are to expect them to be growing alongside us. There's, and the, and, the, and the, the disciples must have been kind of beside themselves. Because they went to him afterwards and said, do you know that parable you just done, you don't get that one? Can you actually explain that to us? And it comes out in such short shrift. Oh, okay, are yeah, really that done? It's as simple as this. You know, I could well read it here. You. If, you if you read it with this kind of tone, um, surely it's obvious, isn't it, to you? He's trying to try explain this kingdom of God that we haven't experienced. We can't see it the way you couldn't hear. The, we couldn't hear the song. Now we've heard the song, we get it. But if you've experienced the kingdom, you haven't got a hope of understanding these tales. So he says to them. Okay, the one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, the good seed is the sons of the kingdom, the weeds are the sons of the evil. Do I really need to explain this to you? Is it really that hard for you to understand what I'm trying to say? At the end, you sow them as the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. And the reapers are angels, not you. They're angels, not you. I will organise this, not you. Don't you dare go pulling up weeds because often in the pulling up the weeds the good stuff gets damaged let me tell you and we have a nasty habit of categorizing in, in and out, it's a societal thing and it's something we do as Christians I'll tell you one little story about the in and out that isn't helpful when my dad died four years ago, five years ago only, we were over, but people didn't really know, know me. they know Adam, but they wouldn't necessarily know me. And there, was some, there were some funny moments, because he had died and people didn't know. So one, one guy came up to me, who's a good friend, and he said, I understand your dad's not well. And I said, well, It's kind of a bit worse than that. <laughs> there was humour in it as well. But <coughs> people would often say to me, Was he a Christian? Was he a Christian? There's only
1: only two answers to that. And one of them is going to put me in a really
0: bad place. How does it help to be able to to distinguish it at that point? We've got to get over ourselves and this idea of in and out. We don't need to know who's going to be there. We just need to concern ourselves with our own thinking on these matters. God is saying, "Nope, leave it to me. That is not your job. That is not your job to judge. God is saying, I am doing this for the long haul. I am planting. And I will keep on planting in this kingdom. But it is not your job. Judgment is coming. Let's be clear. That's very clear from the parable, And it has a number of facets to it. Like a harvest, it comes... It will come with the passing of time and it is a certain event. The angels have a role, clearly. It's a supernatural event. It's a significant and segregated end. But it isn't yet. Not while we're here. In the kingdom. We're in the kingdom. What do we learn from this? What do we learn from this? Well, for me, I think we've learned that what we know is less important than who we know. What we know is less important than who we know. When the subject of faith opens with our neighbours and yeah. our colleagues and our friends, we need to stop defaulting to what we know and just talk about who we know, our experience of the song, we just try and give them something of the song that is in our heart because of who we know because the minute we go with what we know, the world will divide us and try to polarise the debate so what you're saying is, you hear it from journalists, and it's increasingly part of our, our experience as a not as a Christian, you like. So I think we we learn that much. We also learn that these parables are meant to be troubling, and as you go through them, you should be looking for what is it here that is disturbing and of interest. But I also think we have learned, I have learned, that it's entirely possible to use these stories as means of outreach. That people will listen to a story and give their own interpretation of it. And the parables are a great way to do that. And I think we need to seek more experiences of the kingdom of God so we've got stories to tell. We need experiences of the kingdom so we've got stories to tell. We need to ask for more experiences in our lives so that we've got, we can actually speak about this Jesus that we know. About. If you look at many of the blessings that we uh, pray over each other at the end of services, many of them are all about seeking experiences as a means of cementing a good faith. I'll just read a couple to, to you. And they're often quotes from the Bible. So, Philippians 1 6. Be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Be confident of this, that what you know, we have hymns, don't we? I know what I've believed confident that what you know is of use to you, but it's not necessarily of use to the next person. It's who you know that is of use to the next person. Now unto him is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, according to the power that is at work within us. The power that is at work within us. Now. Now. What we have experienced in that first one, the good work, is a now thing. It's not some future hope of heaven. It's a now thing. Both of those refer to a mountain. And this one too. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen, put it into practice. That's what it means, chapter 4. Put it into practice. Let our experience of the kingdom of God be a thing that we can then talk about <coughs> to our friends, our neighbours, our colleagues. wonderful parables that speak so much to us spoke to us as children when we were first learning about you spoke to us throughout all of our lives speak to us again now in the current context that we are in Holy Spirit, will you by your spirit, by your power in us help us to reinterpret these stories for the current day, for the benefit of those around us and will you free us from a judgmental attitude that wants to segregate things before the right time? Before the time is right? We ask these things because we are workers in the kingdom and we know. Asked to do for you and our Savior. Amen. We're going to sing again. Um, Light of the world, you step down into darkness.